This is the Relevant Life Church podcast, where we are about connecting with God, relating to people, and reaching our world. Tune in as our church goes through this week's teaching in God's Word. are coming up right around the corner here. Please go sign up today for Connect Groups. There's three options and make sure you get on there. I also want to say that coming soon, October 8th, is our brand new website and you're not going to want to miss it. It's going to be launching and uh, Colleen and the team have done an amazing job with that and so we're excited about that. Um, This is us. Everyone say, turn to your neighbor, say, this is us. Come on, this is us, right? This is who we are. This is what what you get when you come. And today we're stepping into our final uh, core value, which is missional. This core value that's important to our lives. We've been on a journey walking through all the different core values of Relevant Life Church and what what we want to embrace and what we want to be and become. How many know that we're all in a process of becoming? And uh, that's what we're trying to do is we're reaching towards it. And today we're talking about Talking about missional, and you're going, what in the world is missional? Well, I'm going to define it for you in just a second. But uh, the title of my message this morning is Missional Motivation. Missional Motivation. Uh, this, our core value statement that we have on our website is recognizing that nothing is more important to God than people. How many have realized that? That people are extremely important to God. Are, are you thankful that you are important to God? right? How many know that, that every person in this room has a story, has a name, has a life, and God cares about you? And that every people, that, that, that we're all important to God. And how, are you glad that someone told you about Jesus? Yeah. Right? Are you glad that someone told you about Jesus? Where would you be if that person did not live in a fashion to go, no, they're important to God. I'm going to tell them about God. Realizing, recognizing that nothing is more important to God than people reaching out through evangelism and equipping and empowering through discipleship. This core value takes me all the way back to January, the first Sunday of January, when we started a series, Love Where You Live. How many were here present with Love Where You Live? And we asked this question uh, that was so important. What would happen if each of us really began to love where we lived? What would happen if you and I were to love Salem like God loves Salem? What would happen if you and I were to love our neighborhoods like God loved our neighborhood? What about our neighbor? What about the person we work with? What if God began to change our hearts to love them like he loved them? Would, would people become more important to you? If, you? if you began to love them like God did, would their story matter more to you? Would it? You think about it, you have to step back and go, no, that would be so true if, if we really would gather and gain the heart of God. And my prayer today, my desire today is hopefully to let you get a little bit more glimpse of God's heart. And through that process, the Holy Spirit planting something in your heart to say, I want a little bit, I want to be a little bit more like Jesus. How many want to be a little bit more like Jesus? Amen. If you're a student this morning, uh, would you say, I'm a student? There we are. If you're a parent this morning, would you say, I'm a parent? parent. If you're a spouse today, would you say, I'm a spouse? spouse. If you're an employer today, say, I am an employer. We got some. If you're an employee today, say, I'm an employee. Today, we are identified by a lot of different titles, by a lot of different things in our lives. But today, what I want you to grasp from this message is more importantly than all of those things is you are a missionary. You are a missionary. Would you say, I'm a missionary? missionary. Do you believe that this morning? Say, I am a missionary. missionary. 
I'm a missionary. We have a, we have a, a, a mission before us that God has called us to. Matthew chapter 28 says this. Would you read along with me? It's going to be on the screen up here. It says, come on, let's do it together. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. We could sit back and we could try to dialogue and discuss and break down this passage of Scripture, but it's a very common passage of Scripture that if you've followed Christ, you've read it, you've memorized it, you've heard it. But what I want you to realize today, maybe some of you aren't aware of, if you are aware of, this is known as the Great Commission. The Great Commission. It's not known as the Great Suggestion. Today, when we come into our mindset as believers in Christ, especially in 2024, in this culture, we come back and go, oh, well, that's just a suggestion. That's not my skill set. That's not my gifting. Jesus didn't come in Matthew 28 and say, if you're gifted to go do this, he said, if you are my follower, go do this. And today we want us to understand this concept of being a missionary, this mission that we are on and that we are missionaries in a land, in a people group, in a community, in a family, in a job site that need Jesus. The idea of missional is this. It's taking on a lifestyle. Everyone say a lifestyle. We've been really, in our culture today, we hear all these different lifestyles that, we're, that our culture is embracing. And today, I want to give you the most important lifestyle that you need to embrace. Taking on a lifestyle, and that lifestyle is a lifestyle of a missionary. That you and I have been called to something greater. Being missional includes embracing the posture, the thinking, the behaviors, and the practices of a missionary. In order to reach others where they live with the message, the gospel of Jesus Christ. As you step back and you begin to look at your life, do you realize, do you feel the burden and the passion that you truly are on a mission that you've been placed where you've been placed, that even if you're a student, a parent, an employee, an employer, a spouse, that God has placed you where you're at to be a missionary, that your overarching call is the call of God on your life. Jesus came to earth on mission. Jesus lived on mission. And what's so amazing about this thing that Jesus did is he didn't just come and do it. He showed us how to do it, and he said, I'm leaving, and I need you to do it. God's very nature is that of a missionary. We can see a Latin term called missio dei, which is mission of God or are really known as the missionary God. For God so loved the world that he gave his son to be a missionary. That God so loved his world that he said, this world, you and me, that he sent his son to die on a cross that you could have redemption of sin, not just you to keep it to yourself, but that others can as well. Most people believe oftentimes that missions is just a department of a church. Missions is what we raise money for when someone's going to go to a foreign country. Missions is what we raise money for when we have a missionary come and tell us about the people that are lost. Is that right? We come back and go, missions is this department. Missions is something that we do rather than something that we are. Christians oftentimes see it this way. The church has a mission, but according to missional theology, a more correct statement would be the mission has a church. 
I want you to think about it as a mission has a church. The vehicle of that mission is the church of Jesus Christ. The mission is the call that there are lost people out there. And the way that mission is accomplished is those that are in this vehicle of the church that are sitting in the chairs and then following a Christ are going, no, we're the carriers of that mission. We're the fulfillers of that mission. Chris Wright said this, many times we wrongly assume that the primary activity is God, uh, of God is in the church. We go to church to encounter God. I'm glad that you do. But can I tell you his statement? Rather than recognizing that God's primary activity is in the world, the church is God's instrument sent into the world to participate in his redemptive mission. If you're here today and you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've encountered the mission. You've been a product of the mission. You've been a product of this, of this vehicle that's gone out. But that doesn't mean that you sit in the vehicle and just stay here and go, oh, I got the answer. No, now that you've gotten the answer, you're to get in the vehicle and go out and be the answer. A question that disturbed me back in 2006, a long time ago. I became lead pastor in 2008, and this question just began to stir in my spirit. A question that we and I stepped in in 2008, I asked the board, I asked the congregation, and I'm coming back now in 2023, and I'm asking you this question that I want you to think about. If, RLC, if Relevant Life Church was removed from the city of Salem, would it even make a difference? If Relevant Life Church was removed from the city of Salem, would there be an impact? Good or bad? If the church of, if Relevant Life Church was removed from the city of Salem, would anyone even notice or care? Can I tell you today that every church on, in Salem, every church on this planet should be making a big enough impact that if they were removed, there's going to be something that's taken from their community. Today, when we live our lives, today, as we even, we, we stepped in in 20, uh, of the beginning of this year, coming back and going, no, we want to make a difference. If we really love Salem, we want to make a difference. We want to live our lives in such a fashion that if something were to happen to us, it's going to be recognizable that something's gone. Now you can come back and go, well, no, we're not making a big enough impact. And I will say, I don't feel we're making a big enough impact. But I can tell you there's not a perfect church on the planet and we need to continue to be reaching. And as we look ahead, and we're looking in December of 2023, we have a holiday outflow that's going to be taking place. And we need you to participate to make an impact on the city of Salem. We need you to get involved. Because it's your presence, it's your ability to help us. The problem that you and I feel, this tension that we feel. Many could come back and go, well, you know, that's just not my personality. Or, you know, I'm, I'm an introvert. I'm not an extrovert. I'm not, Pastor Kevin, I can't stand on the platform. I'm talking about, I'm not talking about standing up here. I'm talking about standing on your job site. I'm talking about a one-on-one -on -one conversation. I'm talking about how are you loving your neighbors? This tension that we have is we do not see ourselves as missionaries. And we often don't see where we live as a mission field. When's the last time you stepped back and realized when you got in your car and were headed to work or headed to your school or headed to the grocery store to go, I am headed to the mission field. That I'm going to the mission field. As you're taking your walk through your neighborhood, that I'm walking through my mission field. Yeah. 
America has always been the senders. Our nation was founded on Christian principles, and we've always been the ones that sent people out. But less than 40% of Americans even go to church on a given Sunday. Some studies say that only 26% are regular church attenders. From these numbers, we can step back and go 60 to 74% do not know Jesus. 60 to 74% do not go to a church. 60 to 74% do not acknowledge Christ as Lord and Savior. Can I tell you today, uh, Leonard Sweet says this. He says, the USA is the world's third largest mission field with 196 million unchurched Americans. Only China and India have more unchurched people. Let me ask you today, do you, are we living in a mission field? Are we living in a mission field? We have, do you have, do you know people that don't know Jesus? I know that as we begin to step into this topic today, it makes us uncomfortable because it requires something of you and me. It confronts us with the truth that the reason God saved you was not for you to be warm and cuddly and comfortable in a chair, not just to enjoy a salvation of your own, that, that I'm going to heaven, but who cares about their rest? No, Jesus saved you to carry on the mission of the gospel. Jesus saved you to go into all the world. And you're going, well, Pastor Kevin, I don't want to go to Athens. God's, your world is Jerusalem. Your world is here. Your world is your neighbors. But I'm only one person. What can I do? Edward, Edward Everett Hale says this, I'm only one, but, but I am one. I cannot do everything, but I can do something. Everyone say, I can do something. I can do something. And I will not let what I cannot do interfere with what I can do. And I want to ask you today, what can you do? God, I'm not asking you to save Salem on your own. I'm not asking you to go and get on a street corner and start handing out tracts unless that's what God's asking you to do. I'm asking you to go one person at a time. How am I going to touch their life? Many of you probably have heard the starfish story. Once upon a time, there was a wise man who used to go to the ocean to do his writing. He had a habit of walking on the beach before he began his work. And one day he was walking along the shore. And as he walked down the beach, he saw a human figure moving like a dancer. He smiled to himself thinking to, of someone who would, dance on, who, who would dance on a day like this. So he began to walk faster to catch up. And as he got closer, he saw that it was a young man. And this young man wasn't dancing. But instead, he was reaching down to the shore, picking up something and very gently throwing it back into the ocean. As he got Closer, he called out, good morning. Hey, what are you doing today? The young man paused and he looked up and replied and he said, I'm throwing starfish in the ocean. I guess I should have said, why are you throwing starfish in the ocean? He said, the sun is up and the tide is going out and I don't want to, th I don't want, I don't, if I don't throw them in, they'll die. But young man, don't you realize that there are miles and miles of beach and starfish, starfish all along it? You can't possibly make a difference. The young man listened politely. Then he bent down, picked up another starfish, and he threw it into the, into the sea. And he says, but I made a difference in that one. Today, the answer is, well, who are you going to make a difference in? Is there a loved one that you need to make a difference in or that rather Jesus needs to make a difference in their life? Is there someone that you work with that someone needs Jesus in their life to make a difference? Jesus isn't saying win Salem or win the world. He's saying win one person at a time. Make a difference. Be missional. Be a missionary.
Paul was motivated by this mission. If you want to turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, follow along on the screen. But Paul was motivated by, this, by the gospel, by this message, by this truth that was there. It says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Since then, we know that this is, since then we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others what are, uh, persuade others, what are, what we are is plain to God. And I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. If we are out of our minds, as some say, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us. Because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Verse 16, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. All this from God has, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. The God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he was committed to us. He has committed to us this message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the power of your word. I thank you for the story. I thank you for the heartbeat of Paul, but I thank you more so for your heartbeat. And God, today I pray that it, as we unpack these several verses, God, would you impact our hearts today? In Jesus' name, amen. Paul motivated by the gospel. Paul compelled by this call of Jesus on his life. How many struggle with motivation? Anybody out there struggle with motivation? Maybe it's being motivated to eat right, motivated to go to bed on time. Maybe it's motivated to exercise. Maybe it's motivated to actually get out of your house and, and have a conversation with somebody. Maybe it's motivated to, to get off your phone and do something productive. Whatever that motivation is, this idea of motivation is to inspire, to provoke, to spur on, to urge, or to drive forward. So I come back and I ask you in your life, what is it that is motivating you? All of us in this room are motivated by something, motivated by something. I, I can tell you this week, I have been motivated by the fact that I can eat whatever I want to because Rhonda's not there. <laughs> not like she governs my food, but I don't have to have any harassment about what I'm eating. Except yesterday, I'm, she calls me on the phone and I, she's going, I'm hearing clanking of dishes. And she goes, what are you doing? I said, I'm, I'm making something. And she goes, what are you making? I'm going, I'm making caramel corn. And she goes, you're going to eat it all yourself? And I said, yeah, I am. <laughs> I was motivated by the caramel corn. I was driven forward to make caramel corn. And I ask you today, what is it that you're driven by? Everybody in the room is motivated by something. 
Whether it's a paycheck, whether it's a love for somebody or an admiration, whether it's a love for God, whether it's the truth of God in our lives, we're all motivated by something. We're all provoked and moved forward by something. And I want to ask you today, probably more importantly than all these other things, does the message of the gospel motivate you? Does it motivate you for yourself to go, no, I need that? And in the process of needing it, does it motivate you for somebody else to realize that you are a piece that connects the dots? Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is writing this passage of Scripture. Paul, who's motivated by the, the, his encounter with Jesus Christ, his life has been changed. If you look at the story of Paul, you can see that he was motivated. He was so motivated that he went without food. He went without sleep. He went without comfort. He went without a home. That's motivation, right? We can come back and go, no, I'm motivated. I'll give up this, but I don't want to give up that. Paul's coming back and going, I'm motivated. I'm going to give up all of it because I love Jesus. I'm motivated by the gospel. And today, Paul shows us in this passage of scripture, there's probably more, but I picked out five things that we can see Paul was motivated by. Number one, Paul was motivated by the fear of the Lord. Paul was motivated by the fear of the Lord. I don't know about you, but I don't like to be afraid. I don't like, I, I don't like fear. Anybody like fear in your life? You know, I remember growing up, I hated snakes. I was afraid of snakes. My wife is afraid of spiders. What are you afraid of? What is it that you are afraid of in your life? Is it a fear of rejection? Can I tell you that in the process of fear, oftentimes it paralyzes us, right? It paralyzes forward movement. We want to retreat from. When I see, to this day, you know, we go to the zoo and my grandkids are going, let's go look at the snakes. And I'm going, no, <laughs> no. Why would you? No, I, I'm going to retreat. I don't like that stuff. People will send me videos just to think they're funny, and I'm going, I hate you. <laughs> I don't like snakes. But fear can, fear can paralyze us. Fear can cause us to retreat and not move forward. But can I tell you that also there is a healthy fear, that God placed healthy fear in your life to realize when danger comes, that there is, needs to be a response in your life? that when you're seeing something that should be feared, that you don't walk across a highway when there's a car going 70 miles an hour. There should be a healthy fear of that vehicle. Paul is talking about a healthy fear. The motive that he feels or the motive that he senses is he realizes this, I do what I do because of who I serve. He's motivated by this fear, but he's doing what he does because of God who he serves. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it says, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. I didn't put it up here on the screen, but if you go back to verse 10, Paul comes back and says, we're all going to face a judgment seat. We're all going to encounter God. There's going to be a place that we're going to have to give account for my life and your life. And Paul's coming back and going, no, it's not a fear of, oh, i got to behave right. It's a fear of realizing that there is someone that is bigger than me. Paul did not come with a mindset that the fear of God paralyzed him. He wasn't so afraid of God of making a mistake that he just didn't do anything. No, the fear of God motivated him. 
It pushed him forward to do something. The talk, this fear that I'm talking about is a, an awe and a respect to realize that Christ is, 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 is a savior, is perfect, is holy, but he's also a judge. I think what happens when we lose the fear of God, when you and I lose the fear of God, that's when you and I step into complacency. It's when you and I step into a form of apathy to go, well, I don't matter. It doesn't matter. And I want you to pause right now to come back and go, am I complacent when it comes to the mission of God? Am I apathetic when it comes to the mission of God? Am I content just to give to a missionary because that's fulfilling the mission of God? Can I tell you it does fulfill the mission of God, but you are part of the fulfillment by telling others about Jesus. And we do that because we're motivated by the fear of God. We're motivated by this thing that realize that it's not just us that are going to be judged, that that person is also going to be judged if they don't know Jesus. Paul, secondly, was motivated by the love of Christ. His motive was this, I do what I do because of what he has done for me. Oftentimes we can read this passage of scripture that Paul was motivated because he loved, Paul, loved Jesus so much that he was, he, he was motivated by his love for God. And that's a place, and I ask you, does your love for God motivate you to obedience? But I believe that more importantly here, Paul wasn't talking about his love for God that motivated him. It was God's love for him that motivated him. It was the love of God that he had encountered is what propelled him and compelled him forward. 2 Corinthians 5.14, for Christ's love compels, compels us because we are convinced, what, that one died. Who is the one? Jesus. And he died for all. This idea of compelled and convinced. His love compels me. The question that or realization that hit me this week is how missional I am in my life is how much I've allowed the love of God to compel me forward. And I ask you, are you allowing the love of God of what you've encountered to compel you forward? Has it changed you so much that you want others to experience it? Is this something you go, oh, yeah, no, I was raised in a Christian home. You know, I can't even remember the day that I prayed the sinner's prayer. I, you know, I, I just have always known Jesus. Yeah, I'm thankful for salvation because someday I get to go to heaven. You know, but hey, you know, he, he's a gracious God and he's filled with mercy. You know, so I, you know, I, I can sin and he's going to love me in spite of all that. But yeah, I'm glad he loves me. I'm glad he accepts me. Can I tell you that that goes back up to the fear of God where we become apathetic and complacent? Where we don't realize what Jesus has truly done for our lives. That Jesus has come and he's forgiven us. That his love has done. He loved me so much. This word compels is actually, can be defined by the term being gripped by. Think about it, when you grip hold of a hammer or grip hold of your coffee cup or whatever, that you are uh, holding tightly to something that you do not drop it. 
The term compelled here is actually being uh, encompassed by two things being pressed together or encompassed by something caught in the middle of. Can I tell you today that you, whether you realize it, you have been gripped by the love of God. What holds you and keeps you is the grip of God upon your life. What has helped you be what you are today is because Jesus Christ has gripped you with salvation. He has loved you. It's not anything that you have done. It's not been your good works. It's not been your good looks. It's not been your charm. It's not been your decisions. It's been the love of Jesus Christ that saved you. Do you realize that this morning? Can I tell you that oftentimes we can come back and go, no, I'm saved because of what I've done. We don't live a works-based religion. We live a grace-based theology, a God who loves us and gives us grace and forgives us. We're gripped by the love of Christ. It's so easy to lose the passion of that love, to lose perspective on what it is that Jesus has done for us. Can I tell you the prayer that I pray regularly is, God, keep me alert to what you've done for me. When I get, when I get judgmental of somebody else, when I want, when I want justice, I have to come back and go, God, do I want justice for me? When I want vengeance, anybody out there? Do I want vengeance on me? What did Jesus give us? What has God given us? He's lavished us with grace and mercy and forgiveness. And sometimes when we get caught up in our religious mindset of serving God for the many years that we do, we're going, I don't do that. I want to rewind your story and go, when did you do that? When did you behave like that? Some of you behaved worse than that. Are you gripped by the love of God? Number three, motivated by being a new creation in Christ. Paul's motive was I do what I do because of what he has made me to be. What he's made me to be. People like new things. How many like new things? I like new cars, I like new homes, I like a brand new book. I love a brand new Bible, being able to open it up. It's probably why I have so many, it's, I've got OCDs that way. Can I tell you that we're all attracted to something new? We like new things. Anybody liking the new iPhone 15 out there? Mine's gonna be coming home soon. New things. Paul comes and says, those who believe in Christ and confess him as Lord are a new creation. Everyone say new creation. creation. With this new life we we have in Christ comes a brand new purpose and a new mission. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 16 and 17 says this. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Skipping down to verse 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are new, a new creation. Can I tell you today, I want to pause right here because I think this is where we all get hung up. We are so temporary focused. We are so worldly focused. We're so worldly minded that we view others from a worldly point of view. We look at their life and they go, God could never save them. 
Do you realize what they have done? We can't imagine that they could be a new creation. I want you to step back and let's look at the story of all of the disciples and we can see all of their handicaps and, and, and broken places. If you want to understand it, start watching The Chosen and seeing the, the bantering between these disciples that I really believe is true. And go, no, God chose broken people. And we can see through the story, that the story of the chosen, that we can see that they're growing to become something different. How often do you see people from a worldly point of view? Not even that, how often do you look at yourself from a worldly point of view? Have you come to the realization that you are a new creation? Oftentimes, you and I will label ourselves based upon what we were, not what God has called us to be. Am I correct? My counselor asked me this last week. He said, Kevin, are you living from forgiveness or are you living for forgiveness? Because there's no more forgiveness that you can gain, Kevin, on how you live. It's the forgiveness of God. He's done it. It doesn't matter how you behave. It doesn't matter how you perform. And I'm stepping on our theology, our, this, this mindset of going, I've got to be better. Yes, God wants us to grow. Yes, God wants us to love him. But if we don't view ourselves as a new creation, we will never view anybody else as a new creation. If we cannot see that God has changed our lives, we're going to be criticizing everybody else around us to going, well, they just need more of Jesus. And I want to go look in the mirror. Do you need more of Jesus? What's the new creation that God's trying to call out of your life? When we think of this mindset of a new creation, this concept is that I have a new mind. How many realize when you wake up in the morning that you have a new mind? You have the mind of Christ. Therefore, you must think differently. You've got to put on the mind of Christ that you would think differently. Your thoughts, your desires, your ambitions. Not only do you have a new mind, you have a new heart. That you are different. The very root of who you are is different. Your character, your nature, your soul has been changed. Not only do you have a new mind, a new heart, but you have new hands. You're to act differently because the love of Jesus has changed your life. This new creation is there. You also have a new citizenship. Your focus has to be different. No longer are you focused on planet Earth. You're focused on eternal heaven. Can I tell you today that God's, where we get hung up, this could be a sermon in and of itself. That you are a new creation. And it's time that you wake up in the morning and go, I am a new creation. I have a new mind. I have a new heart. I have new hands. I have a new citizenship. Therefore, it motivates me to be different. Number four, we're motivated by the call of Christ. Paul says, I'm motivated. I do what I do because of what he has called me to do. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18 and 19. All of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us, everyone say gave us, the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. You're going, Pastor Kevin, that Paul has the message of reconciliation. 
That's Paul's call. Paul is, Paul's an apostle. That's Paul's call. Can I tell you, we could spend a whole sermon on, on the call of God upon our lives. Every person in this room, every person under the sound of my voice is called by God to go into all the world. Every person in this room under the sound of my voice has a call on their life to fulfill the mission of Jesus Christ. It's not for a select few. It's not for those that just choose to. No, all of us have a call on our life and we step back and we, we debate this idea of a call and going, no, I'm not called. We've been called to this ministry of reconciliation. Reconciliation literally means this a restoration to favor, a restoring of man in, in position to the favor of God. Whether you realize it today or not, you are a product of the ministry of reconciliation. If you're sitting here today and you believe in Jesus Christ, someone functioned in the ministry of reconciliation. Someone brought you to a place that made you realize that without him, you are broken, made you realize that God is holy and he is righteous and that our sins, my sin has separated me from him, that sin made me an enemy of God, that on the, Christ, on the cross, Jesus Christ took my sins upon himself, satisfied this opposition of God and God's justice and through the death of Jesus brought me into a relationship of peace. You're a product of the ministry of reconciliation. You're a product of someone standing on a, on a platform and declaring the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news. Or you're a product of being raised in a home that someone told you about the love of Jesus. You're a product of sitting in a Bible study or sitting across the desk from somebody at work when someone said, hey, do you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior? He loves you. We're all a product of it. We've all encountered reconciliation. And because we've encountered it, we're called to carry it out. Not just called, but we're commanded to. William Booth, the founder of Salvation Army, says this. Not called, did you say? Not heard the call, I think you should say. He says, put your ear down to the Bible and hear him bid you to go and pull the sinners out of the fire of sin. Put your ear down to the burden and agonized heart of humanity and listens to its pitiful wail for help. Go stand by the gates of hell and hear the damned entreat you to go to their father's house and bid their brothers and sisters and servants not to come there. And then look Christ in the face, whose mercy that you have possessed, uh, professed to obey and tell him whether you will join heart and soul and body and circumstance in the march to publish his mercy to the world. Declare I'm not called. When's the last time you read the word of God with an open heart? When's the last, let, let me ask you this. When's the last time you were having a conversation with somebody and they were telling you of their pain and their trials and their circumstances and their hopelessness? When's the last time that you had a conversation with somebody just at work and just a friend or whatever, a workmate or someone at, at, at a grocery store and you're seeing that their life is not happy? Can I tell you right there is the call of God? Put your ear to the trouble and burden of life. Everybody has it. Listen, 
And pay attention to step back and go, no, what do I need to do? Do you know that what we should be so, so encapsulated by that, what we're hearing and realize that you and I have the answer. We have hope to give. How do we know we have hope to give? Because we've experienced hope. How many have experienced hope? Do you remember the moment that you were in the dark dank of sin? Do you remember what your life was before Jesus? Can I tell you, oftentimes we come back and we don't remember what it was before Jesus because we're so far removed from it. We need to remember what it is without Jesus Christ so that we can appreciate what it is with Jesus Christ. Lastly today, we're motivated by the urgent message. Paul was motivated. He says, I do what I do because of the message that he has entrusted to me. You and I have been entrusted with a message. You and I have responsibility of stewardship for the message of the gospel. We come back and we can realize, yeah, we have the truth in a world that's filled with untruth. And oftentimes we come back with this mindset of, I have the truth and the truth is this and let's get downright to the truth, right? And we have to prove our truth. And I want to tell you, yes, truth is important, but more important is this good news that the truth is something that's swallowable, that the way that Jesus has done what he's done makes it really easy to embrace. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, it says, Paul realizes, he declares over him and his companions, he says, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. What's our message? What's this urgent message? Be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. Encounter God. Let God encounter your life. Paul sees that he serves in a foreign land representative of a king. He realizes that he is an ambassador, that the message that he must communicate is not his message and not his preference, but the message of the king. Paul is delivering that message as if God were speaking through him. An ambassador does not speak to please his audience, but the king who has sent him. An ambassador does not speak on his own authority or his own opinions or his own demands. He simply says what he has been commissioned to say. But an ambassador is more than a messenger. He's also a representative of who Christ is. So it's not just carrying the bad mail or the news. He's going, no, I align myself with him. I'm not just coming to tell you what I know is right and, you know, he's okay of a person. No, I'm coming going, no, he is a really good person and I'm aligned myself with him. When you see me, you see him. When you see him, you see me. And my message is in tandem with that. This idea goes back to a new creation. Many times we don't see ourselves as ambassadors because we don't see ourselves as a new creation. We don't see ourselves as ambassadors because we see ourselves from what we were, not what God has called us to. We see ourselves from our brokenness and our weakness and we're filled with shame and insecurity and God's going, no, you're my child, you're a new creation, you're my ambassador. God has entrusted this message of reconciliation 
to proclaim that people would acknowledge they need forgiveness from God, to acknowledge that, they, that sin destroys relationship with God. And the reality is this, God's act of reconciliation didn't stop with Jesus. It's continued on with us. We're the carriers of that reconciliation. We're the carriers of that hope. And Paul came with such an urgency. He didn't just say, be reconciled with God. He says, we implore you. That word implore is we beg you. We beg you, be reconciled with God. Why? Because Paul's motivated by the fear of God. Paul's motivated by the love of God. Paul's motivated because he realizes I'm a new creation. Paul's motivated because he realizes the call of God on his life. And the message, this reconciling message is so clear. I implore you, I beg you, be reconciled to God. And I want to ask you this morning, when you think of the message of reconciliation, do you sense it with urgency? Do you feel an urgency when you think of lost souls going to hell? Does it even cross your mind unless it's a message like this? My prayer for you, my prayer for myself, my prayer for Relevant Life Church is that we would wake in the morning and we realize that today is the day of salvation. That today, some people could enter into hell and some people could enter into heaven. And it's the last opportunity that we have for some. I remember sermons preached for salvation going, you could walk out of this room and you could get in a car accident. If you're not right with Jesus, you're going to go to hell. We can step back and go, well, that's manipulation. Whatever it is, it's the truth. Can I tell you, you are not promised tomorrow. Your family members, they're not promised tomorrow. The people you work with are not promised tomorrow. The homeless person on the corner is not promised tomorrow. The person you come in contact with is not promised tomorrow. But I love it because today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation. You and I will step back and go, well, one is convenient. We need to feel an urgency. As I close, Jesus did not choose the angels to preach the message for they could not experience salvation. He didn't choose the beast or the field or fowl of the air because they don't have a soul and they can't feel the message. But he did choose you and me. He chose us Matthew 5.13, the message says this. Let me tell you why you are here. You want to know why you're here? Let me tell you why you're here. Jesus is saying you're here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of this earth. If you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? You've lost your youthfulness, usefulness and will end up in the garbage. Here's another way to put it. You're here to be the light, bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not in a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I put you there, your job, your responsibility on this light stand is to shine. I want to commission you to shine this week. As you leave this building, would you go shine? 
Would you go and be, answer the call of God on your life, carry the ministry of reconciliation and speak forth the message of reconciliation? These last five questions I would love for you to take a picture of or download it off the Bible app. These are things that I would really like you to consider and for you to evaluate. Number one, what lost person person am I regularly praying for? Are you praying for someone? Are you on mission? Who am I engaging in the gospel, in gospel conversations with? Who am I developing into a follower of Jesus? Who has been baptized because of my personal devotion to the Great Commission? Who am I equipping to live on mission with Jesus? You come back and you say, well, Pastor Kevin, that's what the job of the church is. Can I tell you something? We don't just go to church. Come on, we don't just go to church. This is your responsibility just as much as it's my responsibility. Pastor Kevin, we don't have enough water baptisms. And I want to say, who's the last person you led to Christ that we can baptize? We're all in it together. Pastor Kevin, we don't have enough discipleship programs. Who are you discipling? Heavenly Father, this morning we're confronted with a lot of questions and a lot of realities. And God, today I do thank you that you're a God of grace and you're a God of mercy. But God, you are also a God of calling and God of expectation upon our lives. God, I pray today that we would be motivated motivated by the gospel, motivated by the mission that's about us, that it would shape us as individuals, it would shape us as a body, it would shape us in the city of Salem. God, that when we have opportunities to serve, we would step in and serve. God, if we would step back and go, if I, if not just Relevant Life Church, if I was removed from this planet, is it going to make a difference in someone's life? If I was removed from telling someone about Jesus, Is it going to make a difference? God, today, help us to feel the urgency. Help us to feel the conviction this morning. And God, I love the fact in Matthew chapter 18, it says, go into all the world and preach the gospel. But it says, behold, I will be with you always wherever you go. God, I don't want to go alone. God, I don't want to go alone. I need you to go with me. God, I need your power to go with me. I need your boldness to go with me. I need your words to go with me. Can I tell you, that's the prayer that we need to pray. So God, today I pray, would you empower your people? Would you empower your people? Would you help them to see this mission as you see it? In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you so much for coming this morning. Have a fantastic week. Our prayer teams are coming across the front. Uh, Make sure you get on, sign up for Connect Group, look ahead to see what's happening. God bless you. Here at Relevant Life Church, it's our mission to see people connect with God, relate to one another, and reach our world. This single statement drives everything we do as a church. Our hope is that today you were encouraged in this. Thank you for joining us and have a blessed day.